You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of his word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Good morning, The Field Church, and welcome to our online service. We're so glad to have you this morning. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. We have been setting up uh, for a while now the journey to Jerusalem, and we are now on this path focused on this discipleship journey as the disciples follow Jesus to Jerusalem with the 12 disciples and their master teacher, Jesus, the Christ. Typically, this portion of scripture that we've been in, uh, I don't need to introduce it again because we've discussed it thoroughly. Typically, this portion, this narrative is described as Luke's travel narrative. And uh, that will be uh, until Luke chapter 19. And we've been saying that this journey or this travel narrative has last, uh, ha- will last until chapter 19, verse 44. But really, it finishes in uh, chapter 19, verse 27. Because in chapter 19, verse 28, we call that the triumphal entry. And so this journey will last until that triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So hopefully this has been uh, easy uh, in looking at this as it's unfolding to just make crystal clear to you the progression of Jesus's life and ministry. It's really a very simple ministry plan, and I love that because I think we can learn a lot from just the simplicity of stages in Jesus's life and ministry. And What's been what we've seen at kind of the stages is the testimony of the Christ and his arrival, which is the birth or Luke chapter 1 1 through about 9, uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 20. And then what we see is the testimony of the Christ and his suffering, um, and particularly chapter 9, verse 21, and chapter 9, verse 44. And then we'll see the testimony of the Christ and his ways and his mission or the discipleship along the journey to Jerusalem, nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 51 through chapter 19, verse 27. And then soon, as we make our way to the end, we'll see the testimony of the Christ and his rejection, the denial, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension, which is in chapter 19, verse 28, through chapter 24, verse 53. And so today we really begin this travel narrative. We begin this journey, this focused discipleship journey and mission with Jesus and his disciples. And as we begin this journey to Jerusalem, um, we are going to look at the text as Jesus begins with his disciples. So again, Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56 begins this journey. And uh, we want to get right into it. So let's pray and then let's read and ask God to show us as we embark on this journey to Jerusalem that he would show us what he wants to teach the disciples at this time and what he's going to teach us. And so let's pray and then let's begin this journey to Jerusalem with Jesus. Father, we come before you And we ask that you would give us great insight and wisdom and guidance. God, I pray that you would clear our minds and our hearts, that we would journey with you to Jerusalem. You've already taught the disciples so much. You've already taught us so much. You've already spoken to us in your testimony of your arrival, your testimony of your suffering. You're going to speak in this testimony of uh, of this journey of discipleship, of your ways and And uh, teach us your ways and you will speak to us as we even approach your cross in the coming coming years. God, I pray that you would really help us today to understand the heart of what you aim to teach us. I pray that we would remember what you've taught us thus far. And God, that we would become disciples who have a, a, a gracious and loving heart as we live on mission for you. A gracious 
and loving heart as we live on mission for you. I pray that you would teach us that today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And he turned and he rebuked them, and they went on to another village. What a great passage. In our passage today, Jesus is continuing to shape and mold and conform the hearts of the disciples. He's molding their hearts. He's shaping their hearts. He's continuing to conform their hearts to his heart. He's molding their hearts. He's molding his messengers' hearts. He's shaping the hearts of his messengers, the hearts of his ministers. He's transforming the beliefs and the attitudes of his missionaries as they follow him and as they share his message about his messiahship. He is shaping the heart of his missionaries. And so today we're learning about the heart of the missionary, the heart of Jesus's follower and particularly the heart of Jesus's messengers, the, his, his missionaries that he's sending out. As they embark on this journey to Jerusalem, they must be changed from the natural to the supernatural. They must be changed from their natural being into who Jesus is, the, his defi- divine character. And, uh, and, and so Jesus is teaching them. He's shaping them. He's conforming them. And, and we must learn his ways. They must learn his ways. They must become like him. As he will soon ascend and they will carry on this mission, they will take the torch. He mu- they must learn his ways. They must become like him and carry on his message and his mission in his ways with their hearts changed by him. And so Jesus is, is wanting them to be transformed uh, during this time. As Romans 12 tells us, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of, of, of your mind. Jesus is changing their minds about how to perceive the world, about how to be like him, about what kind of heart to have, about what kind of methods to have, about what the message entails, about what he's like, about what they should be like, about what God is like. And so he's, he's changing them. So Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of their mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God. They're, they're becoming more like God, and they're aligning their wills with his will. And And he says in Romans 12, Paul says what is good and acceptable and perfect. So they're learning this method. So far in the past few scenes, Jesus has already started transforming their hearts. Jesus has recently addressed a couple of things in particular. He's addressed living by faith according to his words, right? That's the foundation of what they must learn and and be transformed by his words as they live on mission. And we saw that as, as he put forth recently uh, that in their failure uh, to cast out the demons, Jesus really uh, shows and, and declares to his disciples, you've got to live by faith according to my words. They must do so from here forward. They must journey on the ministry that they have been given, the suffering. It will require them living by faith according to his words. That's how disciples live. So he's kind of transform their minds and their hearts to understand that. Secondly, he's really addressed thus far in the past couple of scenes a heart of humility. Uh, he wants them to live by faith according to, their, to his words, and they, he wants them to live humbly. Uh, he redefined greatness for them, having hearts of humility, individual hearts of humility, not making following Jesus about them, uh, not having to divide or cause disunity, And uh, we have to be careful here because it's so, so subtle. Uh, We can begin following Jesus, and really then it slowly but surely becomes about us and our lives. 
And Jesus then is a way, a method to, per, to, to pursue our own individual goals and lives. And we want to feel good and look good with, with what we are pursuing. And Jesus is a, is a means to get there. And so Jesus is speaking to them in those times saying, no, we have to be humble. This isn't about you. This is about me and about sacrificial love and about my kingdom. And so they've, he's taught them to be humble, not to cause disunity, not to make it about them. He's also taught them about group humility and group pride, um, this idea of tribalism or comparison or, or harshness. And this really, a, a lot of that includes their identity. This includes identity issues, pride, conceit. And uh, we, we could get into that if we had a lot of time. It, it's Jesus is wanting them to be humble, to, to pursue sacrificial love, to view greatness as the kingdom of God, and to live by faith according to his words. And so here, as we continue now, in this particular passage, Jesus is continuing to shape and conform their minds and their hearts about what it should look like to follow him and be on mission. And as he continues this discipleship process, he's going to teach them a lot of things. He has many more things to teach them, but here he's beginning to teach them about what their hearts should be like as they live on mission for him. Jesus continues this discipleship process in our passage with the 12 and really eventually with many more. Just in a little while, we'll see many more uh, being uh, taught by Jesus. Jesus has to teach them. They're going to follow him. They're going to spread their, his message about him, but they must be continued. They must continue to be changed. Uh, as they do this. They must continue to be equipped in the way Jesus wants. They must continue to be transformed. They must continue to grow. Their hearts, their minds, their perceptions, their attitudes must be shaped by Christ. And that's what he's doing here. He's shaping their hearts, and this is really as it pertains to living on, on mission. Um, they must live by faith according to his words. They must be humble. They must view greatness rightly what's their goal what's their mission and now they must really have their hearts shaped by Christ as they live by mission this is not about the methods this passage it's about the heart it's about their heart attitudes as they live on mission he's foundationally addressing some things here as they get started he addressed living by faith according to his words they've addressed humility sacrificial love the right identity in God and today they must learn that their hearts overall, a, a grand synopsis is their hearts must be merciful. Their hearts must be merciful hearts, seeking to save others, not to destroy others. Their hearts must be merciful and seeking to save others and not to destroy others. Their pursuit must be characterized by brokenhearted boldness, brokenheartedness. And boldness with the truth, but being brokenhearted in that pursuit. Not just boldness. That's an unbalanced approach to the heart of God. God is bold with his truth, but he is brokenhearted for the salvation of, his, of the people who hear it. So these disciples must be people who desire for people to be saved. They must not just desire to be right. They must desire for, for people to be saved. They must be loving they must love the unlovable. They must have pity on the ignorant. They must continue to bring the message, that's for sure. But it can't involve pride. It can't involve anger. It can't involve tribalism. It can't involve being puffed up. It can't involve conceitedness. It can't involve identity issues. It can't involve uh, wrong motives. It can't involve self-promotion. It can't involve hard hearts. The disciples must desire for people to be saved as they boldly proclaim the truth. And we too must deeply desire for people to be saved as we boldly proclaim the truth. We must have a desire for people to actually be saved. A desire for mercy upon people. For a loving kindness, a, a broken heartedness. Jesus is shaping the hearts of, the, of these disciples. They have tendencies just like us to, to, to just be matter of fact and to, and to let their flesh come about, come to the surface as they proclaim the truth. And Jesus is, is shaping them here. This should be our heart because it's the heart of God. 
John 1.14 says, And the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory is the only Son of God from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so these disciples must be full of grace and truth. They must be like God. The Word, He became flesh. He came to save us, to dwell among us, the Christ. He came into our world to, to put on flesh, to become human so that he could die for our sins. He became like us. He, he came to our world in our sinfulness. He pursued us, the, the Bible says, while we were still in our sins, while we were still sinners, while we were still transgressors. He, he came to us. It, it was for his glory, so we don't, we don't uh, uh, denounce that, or we don't, um, we don't uh, say that that's unimportant, but this... Son of God came for his glory in mercy and love, speaking the truth and full of grace to save us. And so he's shaping the hearts of these disciples that they must be, they must be soft and loving and desire for the salvation of people. So today, we're going to simply see four attitudes, four heart attitudes of the mission. Four heart attitudes that are being put forth here by Jesus. Four heart attitudes of the mission. So four heart attitudes of the missionary. What kind of heart should we have on the mission? That's what Jesus is teaching his disciples. Live by faith according to my words. Be humble, sacrificial love, kingdom-minded, uh, no identity issues. And now here, uh, four attitudes of the heart as we live on mission for him, as the disciples do. And, and as we are, we, we must be shaped having the right heart to be sent on mission to proclaim Christ. What are the four, the four attitudes or postures of the heart? As we look at our passage, we're going to see four of them. And the first that we see in the first verse, verse 51, is brokenhearted resolve. Our, one of our heart attitudes as we live on mission for Christ is to have a brokenhearted resolve. A brokenhearted resolve. Okay, we must be resolved. That's one thing that we can say. We must be resolved as we live on mission for him, but we must have a broken heart. It, it should be, it should be uh, filled with love and mercy and, and even some sorrow uh, for people to be saved. A broken hearted resolve. Verse 51, what do we see? When the day drew near, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's our first verse of this passage. And, and what we can see here is a few things as we walk through it together. And as Jesus teaches his disciples and us, uh, brokenhearted resolve. So imagine Jesus with his disciples during this time. And this is an undefined amount of time from the previous passage. So some time has gone by. And Jesus is just living life with his disciples. But can you picture this scene as Jesus is contemplating the mission, as he's sharing the message with the people around him? He knows in his mind when the days are drawing near, when it's time to get up, to pack his bags, and to go head towards Jerusalem. And Jesus pictures this, this scene. He's got people around him, and it, in his mind, he knows this is time for us to go. And it says, when the days drew near, when the days drew near, for him to be, to be taken up. Now, there's a few observations here. The idea of taken up here, it's, uh, it's something that we're going to point out and we're going to notice. Um, and, and really, it's ironic that there's an idea of, uh, here about being taken up um, that has to do with, if you know the story of Elijah, um, being taken up and then the idea of fire, him raining fire down from heaven. There's a picture here that points us back to Elijah. They even speak of fire later coming down from, from heaven. They're in the same vicinity that Elijah would have done his, his ministry. And so it's meant to point us back to Jesus fulfilling uh, his prophetic ministry. Um, but even more specifically taken up uh, is the idea of really the word that's used here is ascension. And so him finalizing his work, the idea here is him going back to his father. 
Um, but, it, but it really also gives us the idea here of him going to the cross. As you, as you know, Jesus, is, 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 uh, when he's high and lifted up, um, he's going to draw all men to himself. This is the picture of the cross. Or even like when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and all who saw it were spared from, from the death. And so, so too, Jesus is going to be put up, taken up upon this cross. He's also going to be taken up from the grave. He's going to resurrect right? But really the idea here is him to be taken up into heaven when he ascends. And the focus is not only particularly upon his ascension. It's really focused on him going back to his father. Like when his time has come to go back, he's longing to go back to be with his father in heaven. He, He came here. He remained fully God. He became fully man. And, and he's been here to accomplish his mission. And really, his longing of his heart is to, to be back with his father. And so when the time comes for him to go back, to be back with his father, and uh, he's, he, he set his face to Jerusalem. So, so when the days drew near, so some time had passed. It's not long after the journey of uh, of them talking about who's the greatest, sitting in the house, determining this, and and uh, and John answering what we saw last week, and Jesus asserting that you know if you're not against us, you're for us, and and so it's not long after, but this is just another day. It's not a definite time, but Jesus has a, a he knows the day is drawing near. It's drawing near for him to be taken up this ascension, as we mentioned, and really uh, th- think about all that's happening happened so far. I, I mean, it's really incredible, and to think about Jesus is. Uh, knowing of the day when he would be taken up to go back with his father. He anticipates. This is not ambiguous. I mean, he knows that there's going to be particular days. He's God. He knows ahead of times the days and the times. He's set those forth. And so he knows um, that this is coming. And everything thus far really has been dealing with the Messiah's coming. And now we're transitioning until the Messiah's going. Right, All of this thus far is focused on the Messiah's coming. The emphasis has been on the prophecies, the angels, the genealogies, the births, the, 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 the boyhood narratives, the ministry, the baptism, the time in Judea, the time in Galilee, Peter's confession, the transfiguration. It's been full of information about the Messiah coming. He's here, and now we're, as Jesus is uh, thinking about the Messiah's going, going back up. We're transitioning here. We're going towards, the, we're, we're veering towards the end of his life. We have about less than a year left, probably months uh, of his ministry and months until he's really taken up. I mean, we have, uh, we have months until he's going to die. He knows he's going to die in a matter of months at this point. So this is, this is interesting to, to see Jesus' heart at this point, to know what is really happening in this scene. Now, um, this is about, uh, again, his going. And so the Messiah, he's completed his, his proving of who he is, and, and, and he's thinking about the cross and the rejection, and now he's going to take these disciples with him and, and go on this discipleship journey. And so this whole section, as he trains the 12 and he's going to Jerusalem, um, he knows that the day is drawing near. And so when the days drew near for him to be taken up, that's what we've seen so far, he did something particular. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's where this taking up would take place. Now, this is very, very important because Jesus knows what's going to take place in Jerusalem. It's, it's, it's going to be a time of sorrow and suffering. And so when he thinks about this time ahead of him, his heart is broken. His heart is broken. He's got, he, he knows what's ahead and he wants to save people. He wants to, to do the work to save the people that their sins would be paid for. He knows. He's, he's sober-minded. He's thinking about the day drawing near to be taken up to go with his father after the work is completed. And so this is where he's going. He knows he's going to rejection. He knows he's going to death. He knows he's going to 
humiliation. And this time, he's going to train the 12 as they go, but he knows where he's going. So when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now this set his face is really a, a term of resolute um, focus. He, he resolved or he was resolute. He set his face upon Jerusalem. Now this is a focus, a sober-mindedness. This is a sober-mindedness. Now this isn't going to mean that there's an immediacy from this point to Jerusalem, because actually, um, there, there's not an immediacy. I'm going to show you in just a few minutes, but, but this journey from Galilee to Jerusalem is just a few days. It's a few days' journey by foot. It's not very far. And we have months of a journey. So he's going to be kind of uh, meandering, going in and out of places. He's going to kind of show up and, and, and come out, and, and he's going to address the people and come back and he's going to continue his way. This journey is going to be long and it only takes a few days because his goal is to save people, but he's resolute. He knows where he's, he's going. All is focused up, all is focused on ending up in Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. That's what's focused. That, that's what his focus is. And during the time he's going to equip the 12, right, the first generation of these of these gospel messengers, but he knew the day, he knew the time, he knew what was coming up, and he was set. His face was resolute. Um, he, he knew that, that this was his goal. He was going to depart. That's where he's going. Uh, he's going to go back to the Father. This is 32 years of revealing who he is, and now this is just a, a going to be a few more months of his suffering, but he was fixed. He was resolute. His face and his mind was resolved to go to Jerusalem. He had conviction. He had resolve. He had trust in his father. He had discipline. He knew what was going to come. Imagine when he's in the garden about to be taken up and he's sweating blood and he says, let this cup pass from me. He knew rejection was coming, suffering, execution, but he said, not my will, Father, but yours. He knew the wrath of God was coming upon him, but he was fixed upon going to Jerusalem. There's a broken-hearted resolve. He's broken because of what's going to take place. He's broken because people in their sin need salvation. But he's resolved to go and pursue their salvation. And this is a picture and this is an example to the disciples. The disciples can have this example. They should see Jesus' example here. They should see his example that he's broken about what's going to take place, about the sin of the people, and yet he's resolved to go pursue these people. And as we think about this, this is how we too as Christians should live on mission. We too need to live like this. We too need to be broken in our spirits this is how the disciples must be, and this is how we must be. We must have a brokenheartedness. We know what's going to take place. We know what had to take place, the death of our Savior. We know what the sin that's pervasive in the hearts of people, but we must have a resolve to go and to pursue them because they need salvation. This is the first heart, the first heart attitude that we see in this passage. He's transforming their hearts. He's showing them what they must be like. The first thing that we see is a broken-hearted resolve. And again, my encouragement to you is that you would live on mission like this. Not with the pride that we saw, not with the identity issues, not with the, not with the uh, wanting to be great, not with making it about you, but loving sacrifice and, and faith in his word and, and a pursuing of people who need to be saved with a resolve that's brokenhearted for people. And we're going to see this play out even more in this passage because they're going to show the, quite the opposite, right? Number two, what we see in this passage, the hard attitude that we see is hopeful love. Hopeful love. We see the, our attitude as we live on mission must have a brokenhearted resolve. And secondly, we must have a hopeful 
love, a hopeful love. Verse 32 or 52 says this, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered the village, a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. So when the day drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That's a, that's a broken-hearted resolve. Verse 52, and he sent messengers ahead of him who sent and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. This is a hopeful love, even though you don't maybe see it quite yet. Let's unpack this. His ministry in Galilee is over. They're starting the journey. And he's, the opportunity for the Galileans is over. They've heard the message. They've been there for, he's been there for over a year now. He's heading to Jerusalem, only a few days' journey, less than a year, really months. And, uh, and we're gonna, I'm going to show you this map in just a moment. Uh, but he, they're heading there, and while they're heading there, verse 52 says, he sent messengers ahead of him. He sent messengers uh, ahead of him. And as these messengers went out, what the goal was is that they would begin to prepare the hearts of the people for the Messiah to come. And as he sent messengers ahead of them, these messengers went and they entered the village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. Now, this is very unique for a number of reasons. But number one is that you didn't need to go into Samaria if you're heading from Galilee to Jerusalem. In fact, it was a more difficult journey to head into Samaria. Here's the map. It should be on your screen. And if you look at this journey from Galilee to Jerusalem, again, it's only a few days journey by foot. But at the same time, you don't need to go into Samaria in order to get to Jerusalem. This was out of the way. And we know this story from the woman at the well, right? It said they had to go through Samaria. And you've probably heard it preached many a times, and we have done so as well, that they didn't have to go through Samaria, right? Jesus had to because he had a divine appointment with the woman at the well, right? But this was not a, this is not necessary. This was intentional. So he sent his messengers ahead of them, uh, ahead of him as he's journeying, and they went and entered the town of none other than the Samaritans. Now, why would he go to the Samaritans if you don't know? The Samaritans are not in good standing with the Jews, and the Jews are not in good standing with the Samaritans. So we've seen this brokenhearted resolve, and now what we're watching is this hopeful love. He's hopeful that the Samaritans would receive him, and he's, his love is extending beyond just the Jewish culture. We, we know some things about the Samaritans. Second Kings chapter 17, verse 33, it says, So they feared the Lord, but they also served their own God. So here's something about the Samaritans is they feared the Lord, they had a reverence that we call the syncretism. They had a reverence for the God of the Bible, Yahweh, but they also had their own gods that they served. After the manner of the nations from among whom they had been carried away. And so they had these, these other gods from other nations as well as Yahweh. So these were, these were idol worshipers. These were syncretists. These were people who worshiped God but worshiped other gods as well, and Jesus is sending them ahead to make arrangements. This is Jesus showing that there's no conventional walls here. His mission is going to extend to all people, especially sinners, especially sinners in need of grace. This is the heart that his disciples must have, hearts of mercy, hearts of grace, hearts of kindness to those who don't deserve his love. This is going to go to the prostitutes, to the tax collectors, to the thieves, to the handicapped, to the demonizers, to the lepers, to the prisoners, to the criminals, to the needy, to the dead, to the fringes of society. And here he's training the 12 to live like this. This is not different. This is what his essential message is about. Their love and their desire for people to be saved needs to extend beyond just the Jewish people. And it will, even as we see in the future, Paul will be going to the Gentiles. Well, the Samaritans are the scum of the earth in the eyes of the Jews. 
They really are. I mean, and this should change. Think about how this changes your view of the Good Samaritan story. Wow. That really makes that story come to life. It was the Samaritan who stopped and took care of the man who needed help. Jesus is showing a, a grace and a mercy in that he's going to make even the scum of the earth great as they receive him and follow his ways. Think about how this informs the story of the woman at the well. Jesus' mercy extends to this prostitute woman. And so this is an expansive proclamation. This is beyond. This is, this is the Samaritans who are going to receive this message. The Galilee people have heard it. He's going to Jerusalem. He's spent time in Judea. And he's not going to avoid the Samaritans. Now what happened normally is people would avoid this place. The Jews would avoid it. You would go in at your own risk. Because... There was hostility here. They would steal your food. They would steal your money. They, you would be murdered. There would be a, uh, you could be murdered. There was a, 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 an opposition of Jews and, and Samaritans. They were a mixed race. Why was it so degrading to be a Samaritan from a Jew? You're not pure blood. You're a mixed race. You have some uh, Jewish lineage in you, and you have some from the other nations, the pagan nations. And at the same time, you worship Yahweh, and then you worship other gods. It was semi-pagan because it was half. And so because what happened was the, when the northern kingdom of Israel was taken over by the Assyrians, right? They were, there was a battle between always from the Syrians and the Babylonians and the Assyrians. When the Assyrians uh, were, took over Jew, the Israelite northern kingdom, disciplining God used it as his disciplinary work there were some Israelites who were abandoned who were left behind and they were offspring of Israelites and yet they were left behind and so they began to marry some people intermarry with people who were loyal to the Assyrian king and so they began new religions they had a new race they were a mixed blood they weren't pure Jew and uh, they worshiped at a different mountain, Mount Gerasim, instead of uh, the mountain in Jerusalem. And they were, and so this was a mixed blood. They were really void of truth. They, uh, their temple was destroyed, and so there was no common place for them to worship. Um, they kind of did this free thing outside uh, and, and worshiped in the way that they really wanted to. It was void of, of truth. And so we, we see that this is the, the nature of this journey. They're going to the Samaritans, the people who, who don't deserve, who are not pure blood, who, who are scum, who don't have any reason that they should be saved. And, and in verse 52, as we're in, the messengers went on before him, and this was not by accident because they wouldn't have just stumbled upon Samaria. They could have gotten to Jerusalem easier, they could have done it quicker, and they could have avoided Samaria. But they didn't, but they head to Samaria to make preparations for Jesus. Certainly this was God's plan. And this just begins to show the hopeful love that his messengers must have. We don't know how they're going to respond yet, you do because you read the passage. But they must be hopeful that even the Samaritans would receive Christ's love. Think about when, when we see the official messengers go out in Acts 1.8. Like when we see like it's time to, to declare when the Holy Spirit comes, we're, we're going we're gonna to go to the world. Right? What does he include? Who does he include in that list? Look at it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes has come upon you and you will be my witnesses to where? To Jerusalem, to Judea, and you wouldn't expect this one, to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. To the pure, the purest of the pure, to the half-breeds, and then even to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth. So, at the very least, there are 13 of them heading to Samaria because the 12 and Jesus, but there's probably more at this point. Soon enough, we're going to see the 72 being sent out. There's messengers. They're making arrangements. And this is the mercy of Jesus. No one goes here. The Jewish religion doesn't go to this place. The truth is so important 
to share and to proclaim, but his mercy is on display here. They distorted the scriptures, these people. They were misrepresenting God. They worshiped idols. And these leaders, these messengers, are supposed to go to Samaria. This is incredible. And what's really unique here, I think about the story of Jonah and how Jonah didn't want to go to where God sent him because he was so embittered towards those people. He was so embittered toward the, the Ninevites because they had, they had hurt his people. They had, they had hurt the Jews. They were opposed to the Jews. And he didn't want to go. He turned away because he was embittered. He didn't even want them to be saved. That's why he didn't go. He didn't want good to come upon. If you look at the end of, of Jonah, Jonah says, I knew, God, that you were a merciful God and that you were going to save them, which is why I didn't want to go to them in the first place, because I knew you were going to forgive their sins and save them. I knew you were going to pass over their sins and that you were going to relinquish from your anger. I didn't really want to go to them because I knew that you would save them and I really didn't want them to be saved because of what they did to us. But Jonah is called to go there because the heart of God is merciful and he does forgive them. And he's also merciful to Jonah, who's a knucklehead. And he forgives Jonah, gives him another chance. But here, the disciples are called to go to the Samaritans and to show them the good news. And so, and to share with them the good news. And so we've seen this hopeful love. We've seen this broken-hearted resolve. And then thirdly, what we see is in this passage, what's the attitude that the disciples must have as they share? It's a it's also a sorrowful expectancy. It's also, number three, a sorrowful expectancy. They should have, they, they don't need to have this conceitedness, this puffed up, this wanting to be great, making it about them, this, this conceit. They shouldn't have this. They should trust in the truth of his word. They should trust his words and proceed forward. They should, de they should desire the kingdom of God. They should be humble. They should have sacrificial love. And the foundations of the disciples being on mission as Jesus is teaching them is a broken-hearted resolve. It, it should, it should have a, they should have a hopeful love, and they should have a sorrowful expectancy. This is, their, this is to be the heart of them moving forward. Jesus is transforming their, the hearts of these missionaries. A sorrowful expectancy we see in verse 53, but the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. Now, what, what do we mean by sorrowful expectancy here? Well, the sorrowful expectancy is, is that they should expect that this message is going to be rejected. Not by all, not by everyone, but they should expect that this message will be rejected by people. This is the way that the missionary has to think and and. And this is the heart that the missionary must have. We must have a sorrowful expectancy knowing that this message won't always be received. It won't always be uh, accepted. And that was certainly the case with the Samaritans. Jesus went in there with this hopeful love, and yet there was a, there was a sorrowful reality and that we must learn to expect that the message will be rejected. They didn't receive him, it says in verse 53. The people did not receive him and so they heard this and they said we don't want the messiah here we we don't want this jesus here we don't want this one claiming to be the christ here we don't want this this one who who claims to have all truth here the good news here we don't want him to come through here we don't have time for him we don't have the resources for him we don't want to hear your message we don't want to take care of you guys as you come in you 13 at least when you come we don't want this this message, we don't want this, this uh, ministry. It was full of truth. Uh, it was full of grace, but it was also full of truth. And, and they didn't live like that. The, the, the Samaritans, they were, again, a half-breed who had some idols and then some of Yahweh, and, and they kind of mixed it together. Again, syncretism here. And, and so this, this truthful way, they wouldn't have anything to do with it. We don't want him here. And the reason being is really very surface level. 
So the, the reason here that we can see that people might reject Jesus is certainly also very not contemplative or deep. We must expect that. Sometimes it's going to be very surface level reasons that people would reject. It's going to be very surface level. We would think, oh, wow, these reasonings, you're going to reject the Christ who came to pay for your sins. And, and we would expect that this, that would be overcome by the message, and it's not always overcome. This is a very simple reason that they reject Jesus, and one in which is going to prevent them from receiving the Messiah who came to save them. It says, but the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. There was an issue here. Their temple was destroyed. The temple in Jerusalem was magnificent. The, 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 the purebreds were going, the Jews, they would worship in the temple in Jerusalem. The, the Samaritans, they would worship in Mount Garrison. There was no temple there. It was destroyed, and, and it was kind of an outdoor, uh, free-spirited worship place. And, and it was just a, it was just a, a difference. We don't want to worship like that. We don't want to worship like you. They were religious. We don't believe in the same thing that you're believing. We're not going to go with this truth that the Jews proclaimed to have. And they, were, they weren't even considering the claims of the Messiah. They weren't even considering the claims of the message. They, they were upset because, because they, they didn't want to worship like the Jews worship. And so they hated the fact that they were going to worship at the temple. They were bittered, embittered. There was a jealousy here. We see the testimony of that in John chapter 4 when Jesus goes to the woman at the well. She says, our furthers, our, uh, uh, he says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, she says, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And so there's a difference here in the places that they want to worship. And, and this is them saying, we're not going to receive this Messiah if that's where you guys are going to worship. We'll have nothing to do with it. And they reject the Messiah for really no good reasons. We've got to learn to expect this. We must learn to have an expectancy, a sorrowful expectancy that the message will be rejected for no very good reasons. The first thing that we saw is that these missionaries, Jesus is transforming them and being an example to them. They must have a resolve, a, a broken-hearted resolve. They must feel, have a hopeful love to even to go to those who look like they would never receive his message and are outside the boundaries. They must also have a sorrowful expectancy that this message will be rejected. And lastly, is that they must have a merciful patience when it is rejected. A merciful patience. Number four, what we see is a merciful patience. We find this in verses 44 through, or 54 through 56. Jesus says, it says, Luke writes, and when his disciples, James and John, saw it, saw the rejection, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. Now we got a scenario here where the message is rejected. Jesus is rejected. Him coming there is rejected. And James and John respond. Either they come and tell Jesus uh, or they uh, Jesus, when he's arrived there, is rejected. We don't know a lot of the other details of this, by the way, because Luke is the only one who tells of this story. Uh, we don't have this in Matthew or Mark. And so we don't have some of those details about it's whether Jesus arrived or not here or whether or not they're just coming, kind of coming back and reporting to him. But when they saw this rejection, James and John, they asked if Jesus wants them to send down fire from heaven to consume the Samaritans. Now, these are James and John who are the sons of thunder. That's what they're called. They're hot-blooded. They're impulsive. These are volatile men, right? These are, are guys who have not been totally transformed and reformed by the Christ, which is why Jesus is helping to shape them, because they need it, right? In Mark 3.17, we see their names put forth, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name, sons of thunder. And uh, they were angry. They blew up. 
They were probably hungry on the journey. They were probably tired. They were probably hopeful and then disappointed. They probably had a lot of pressure on them. They were probably had a seriousness about them. And this was a little bit of a kind of a dignity here because how dare you reject the Christ? They had believed in him. How dare you not take him into your town? Take us in as a, we're on our way to Jerusalem. Um, but this was not a proper response. When the disciples, the sons of thunder, heard about it or saw it, they said something to Jesus. They asked if, second half of verse 54, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Why would they say this? Where did that come from? Why not, hey, do you want us to have arrows come out of the ground and, and pierce them? Why, why this idea here? Well, they had not done anything like this. So they had healed. They had cast out demons. They had raised from the dead. But what we know is that, and you're probably wondering, in, in the ESV, it doesn't include this. Some manuscripts do. There's a, probably a little note on the side or at the bottom um, to where at the end of that verse, it says, as Elijah did, right? Do you, want us, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them as Elijah did? Now, that's in some manuscripts. It's also in the New King James and I think the NASB. Um, and you're probably wondering what that means. Well, well, that means that in some manuscripts that are reliable, that was in them. And so some has included in them and some hasn't. This is a certainly true statement. Is as Elijah did is certainly true because that's what Elijah, in fact, did in 2 Kings chapter 1. You can read the story at another time, not right now, about him raining down fire from heaven. And so this is probably them wanting to fulfill the, the ministry like they thought it should be fulfilled like Elijah. And uh, Elijah particularly was in this same area and region when he did his ministry. He was particularly uh, did this against the enemies of God. Uh, Elijah called from fire down from heaven. And so we can include that as an information informational point. They, are, they have Elijah on their minds. Uh, plus, these disciples just saw Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. So they probably feel like they're in his camp. They probably feel like they're, they're worthy of asking that question. And so they're, this, is what, this, is what is, this is where their mind is at. And Jesus is about to tell them, no, 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 no. We're, this is the gospel. We're doing things differently. Our heart is full of mercy for people to be saved, not destroyed, which leads to another aspect that's also not included here in the ESV. But it says in some manuscripts there at the end of the verse, after Jesus rebukes them in verse 55, some manuscripts also add, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man came not to destroy people's lives, but to save them. And so he adds here some words that are very helpful for us and they're reliable for us because we can, again, I think included in the New King James and the NASB. And so we can see here that this is what's on their mind. Uh, Jesus is pointing us to this about the idea of taken up and, and the fire being called down from, from heaven. And, and this is pointing us to his ministry being fulfilled, but it's also pointing us to a very different way that Jesus is calling his disciples to go about this mission. He's transforming their hearts. He's conforming them to his ways. He must, he must shape their hearts as to how they should go about doing this. And, uh, and so he rebukes them because that's not at all what he wants to happen. He rebukes them and he says, listen, you got to be shaped by what my heart is. This is not the attitude that we're going to have as we live on mission. This is not the heart. We're going to live by faith according to my words. We're going to be humble, have sacrificial love, view greatness as the kingdom of God. And we're going to have hearts and attitudes of love and, and mercy and desire for people to be saved as we go about this missional journey. Not just to be right. Not to, to destroy people. To save them, that note says in the NASB, in the New King James, to save them in some manuscripts, to save them. That's what the goal is, not to destroy them, to save them. 
Our goal would be that they would be saved, that they would hear the truth, they would experience the grace and the mercy, and that they would be saved. This is the goal. Now, again, although it's only in some manuscripts, not all, we certainly know that this is a true statement because even in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Luke Luke writes, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The goal is to save, not to destroy, even in proclaiming the bold truth. We must have mercy. They must be loving, even to those who are unenlightened by the truth. We will say here, though, that there is a limit to the time of mercy. You don't set that limit. God does. So you share. The disciples are to share But there will be a time when this will run out. In fact, we even see it very soon in Luke chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus mentions it, our passage for next week. He says, whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say even uh, and say even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than it was for that town. The towns that don't receive him, they will receive condemnation if they continue in their ignorance. But that will be a time in which will be determined by the Lord. That time will come to a close, but they should be patient with their mercy. They should have merciful patience in even people who don't receive the message. Because actually, a few years later, what we'll see in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, look at what this says. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So, the disciples, after Jesus ascends, there was a great persecution, which the suffering, the persecution is what made the gospel disperse amongst the world. It's good news that Jesus has used it for good, that, that it caused his disciples not to be comfortable, but to have to, to go due to the suffering. And some went to Samaria, except the apostles, and devout men buried Stephen. They made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church. This is a story about Saul he, before he was turned uh, and saved and he became Paul. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And Philip, look at this, went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. This was later. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For the unclean spirits were crying out in loud voices and they came out. And many who had them and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was so much joy in that city because of this message of the gospel and because of God's great work. This was years later. And so even though they're rejecting it now, they, they turn to go to another village. Jesus knows that his followers will come back in the future and many will receive. And many will respond to this message in in joy. And so Jesus is looking at them and saying, we pursue, there's a merciful patience. One day Jesus will come back and everyone's opportunity will be over or will die. And then our opportunity to receive the Christ will cease. But until then they continue and Jesus will send more missionaries to them like Philip even later. And so this is a mission of of mercy. And uh, this is what God calls us to. Proverbs 3 says this, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Let not steadfast love forsake you. Bind it on your heart. It even says that we will have great success when we do so. Psalm 138.2, I bow down toward your holy temple. I give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and faithfulness is exalted above all things, your name and and your word. So love is so tied to his name and to his word, mercy and truth. Proverbs 11, 17 says, the man who is kind even benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. 
And so even them, they will be, they will be full of chaos and despair if they were seeking cruelty and not seeking kindness and mercy. They must be godlike. They must be merciful and patient, even with those who reject. In their heart, it should be broken that God would one day save them before it's too late. And so, this is the story. They're on their journey now, and this is what Christ is teaching them. He's shaping their hearts. And what we've learned is that they must have hearts of broken-hearted resolve. They must have hopeful love for even the people who they might not be sure will receive it. They should have sorrowful expectation that the message will be rejected, but they should have merciful patience, knowing that some may reject, but that doesn't mean that the story's over yet. Um, God will continue to send his ministry there. Let us have hearts like this as we live on mission for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we ask that you would give us great ability through your spirit to live as missionaries like this, that we would live on mission for you and have merciful hearts for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.